You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Amen. You may be seated. I'm actually going to be preaching from a different passage this morning. Don't worry, Andrew's aware I'm not going rogue. Open your Bibles to Luke number 11, Luke chapter 11, and it's in your pew Bible on page 870. Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 37, page 870 in your pew Bible. Hear God's word. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, and so he went in and reclined at table. And the Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees! For you tie the mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without even knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you, lawyers, also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build tombs of the prophets from whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed him, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. And as he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Our Father, we ask that you would send your spirit to show us our need for Jesus, and to give him to us. Amen. Our passage is serious, and I want to begin seriously. I want to paint a few scenes, some hypothetical scenarios. Though the names are intended to kind of be generic enough, I imagine they're going to hit us all in one way or another because, well, we're all living life. We're all probably having conversations like these with people. Or maybe we're having these conversations with ourselves, shut off from any help. Number one, you and your friend Mary are at Starbucks, and she drops this bombshell. Holding back tears and hands shaking, she tells you that two years ago she has had an abortion, 
And since then, she hasn't been able to sleep at night. Two, you're a senior in high school. Saturday night, basement, Netflix with your friend, Lauren. Lauren grew up in a Christian home with faithful and believing parents. And she's journeyed through Sunday school, youth ministry. And she's been a leader in her local Young Life chapter and teaches a small group girls Bible study. She presses pause. She tells you that she's really struggling. She says she's tired of the masks of acting like she has everything together. And she confesses that on the inside, she deeply doubts the existence of God and wonders whether Christianity is even real. She feels guilty about having those doubts and thoughts and can't admit it to anyone. Three, you're on the golf course with your buddy Tom, who is three years into his retirement. At the tee box on hole eight, after seven holes of the usual chit-chat, he blurts out a shocking and painful admission. Man, I don't know who I am anymore. My whole life, I've put myself into my work, and now I don't have anything. I feel like I've wasted my whole life on things that don't matter, and I didn't spend any time or energy on the things that did. And now it's too late. I don't blame my son for not calling me. I don't blame my daughter that I never see my grandkids. I don't blame my wife for being distant and basically having her own life. I'm really the one to blame. And it's too late. And I'm starting to feel like I just need to end it all. Now what do these stories have to do with Luke 11 and this showdown between Jesus and the Pharisees and the lawyers. We'll get there soon enough, but for now, I want you to let those painful stories, those real, deep, and human stories, just hang there for a little bit. Leading up to this moment in Luke, we've seen chapter upon chapter where Jesus clashes with the Pharisees and with the lawyers, and it's ramping up. And by the way, who are the Pharisees? They're good religious people. They're people like you and me just trying to do their best to obey God and trying to do their best to see that everyone else obeys God. And who are the lawyers? They're folks who are experts in the interpretation of God's word and his law, who aid the Pharisee leaders in their study of tradition. And this group of zealous and well-meaning religious folks has become increasingly bothered by Jesus, both his teaching and his behavior. Jesus isn't keeping the rules He's hanging out with sleazy, better-call-saw tax collector types. And he's recruiting fishermen into his rabbinical school. And he's found partying with people who eat and drink, yes, drink, a lot. And one of the Pharisees invites Jesus to dinner. And this event is less of a dining room style thing and more of a semi-public gathering. People would be dining, but there would be other guests around the outside of the table who are able to hang out and listen in as well. And not soon after Jesus gets there, an altercation emerges. And Jesus doesn't ritually cleanse his hands before the meal. It's the kind of thing that you would definitely do if you wanted to honor your host. And that host was a Pharisee. But Jesus doesn't do it. And the Pharisee is astonished. And Jesus responds to the Pharisee. Not with reasoned arguments. No, Jesus instead puts on the traditional robe of an Old Testament prophet like Isaiah or Amos. 
and does what those prophets do in moments like these. He pronounces woes. He begins with a preface and then he starts in. You clean the outside, but your insides are filthy. If you want it to be ritually clean, clean your hearts. It's a total waste of time, all this behavior modification stuff. And then, woe to you Pharisees. You're really good about giving a tenth of your possessions and money, like the law says. But you're so busy about worrying about doing everything right that you're forgetting the obvious. You're so insistent on being right that you've forgotten how to love. There are people who are poor and are broken, who are beat up and who are hurting all around you. And you're busy telling them to follow the rules. Woe to you, Pharisees. You love to put your religious observance and obedience on display. You're constantly virtue signaling on social media about your piety. Which rally, which cause, which event that you were at. And you do it just so that others can see you. Well, I see right through you. Woe to you, Pharisees. Because you are actually like an unmarked grave. You're a dead man walking. But people pass you by unnoticed. And you look like you're alive. But you're not. And as Jesus is tearing into the Pharisees, the lawyers try to chime in in their defense. And Jesus says, do you want to get in on this too? You too, lawyers. Woe to you, lawyers. You take burden people and all you do is put another brick on their back. Woe to you, lawyers. You think you're being faithful to the tradition of the prophets. You think you're being faithful to God's word. No, you built a tomb for God's word. And just as your wayward Israelites, Israelite forefathers killed the mouthpieces of God, so you're killing God's good word so that no one is able to hear it. Woe to you, lawyers, because you actually take away knowledge. You're supposed to be experts in God's word. And you don't even know God's word. And you're blocking other people from being able to hear it, too. Now, if you're listening to this, you're in the room and you're counting and you know your Old Testament prophets you've recognized that the whole room that evening heard six woes six look up Isaiah 5 sometime in the Old Testament they pronounce something when they're trying to lay down an irrevocable judgment seven times seven the number of completion The Pharisees and lawyers know their Bible well enough to be counting. The seventh woe, it's about to drop. But interestingly, it doesn't. Jesus, the judge, keeps them hanging. He keeps them suspended. If this were a stage play, pregnant pause would be written here. It's as though the pause is waiting for some kind of response. And when the response comes after Jesus lays down the law, it's actually not surprising because as the Apostle Paul tells us, laying down the law affects one thing. The law increases the trespass. Verse 53 says that after Jesus provoked them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard. They wanted to provoke him back. So why is Jesus so passionate here? Why is it that we hear a mixture of tears and compassion and frustration and urgency in his voice? 
It's because as chapters 13 and 19 of Luke will show when Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. Jesus is grieving how lost his hearers are. Jesus is grieving their lostness. And he's using the prophetic hammer of God's law to try to shatter their hard hearts. If you want to get to what's happening in this intense moment, we need to not only ask who Jesus is pronouncing these woes to, but who he is pronouncing these woes for. There's an obvious answer. And there's an answer that requires a bit more attention. The obvious answer is that Jesus is pronouncing these woes for the scribes and Pharisees. The Pharisees and scribes are a certain category of lostness. That's a deadly kind of lostness. Pharisees and scribes are the kind of lost people who don't think that they're lost. They're the kinds of lost people who think that God has already found them or that they have already found God. But you know what? Every last one of us is making judgments and evaluations of others all the time. And churches become little petri dishes where cancerous judgment of one another metastasizes, where a black market of judging one another, of being offended by one another, of gossiping, goes on under the surface of, hey, how you doing? I'm fine. That game was a tough loss last night, wasn't it? Yeah, I know. It's kind of been cold, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been cold. But right under those conversational streets, a black market of judgment There are those kinds of people. Yeah, she's a real piece of work. It's a judgmentalism that beats people into the ground. It's a judgmentalism that breeds more judgmentalism. And it seems like nowadays, actually, outside the church, there's an even more zealous, even more scrupulous, irreligious judgmentalism that's killing us all. I mean, just read your social media feeds or listen to your favorite news network. Every other post... Every other story is some headline about who's getting it wrong and who's getting it right. And oh, by the way, who's right? I am. And we are. No, we're not busting each other's chops about ritual hand cleansing before meals. Instead, we're bludgeoning each other about our political views and our social stances. We're beating each other with our social consciousness or our dietary intentionality. And we're triggering and being triggered. And even when we don't mean to judge, we can't help ourselves. Judgment becomes a kind of coping mechanism for a social media world that forces us to deal with having to see everyone's life that appears to be better than ours. Look at them on their exotic vacation. Man, they just spend way too much money on frivolous things. Look at her with her gym selfie. She just cares way too much about how she looks. And yet other times... You and I are bludgeoned by the very judgments that life hands to us as a consequence of the poor decisions that we've made. And Jesus says once for all, woe to you. This whole thing is broken. It's messed up and you're lost and you don't even know it. So yes, Jesus is pronouncing woes for the Pharisees, for the scribes. And for all of us who are lost and don't even know it. And are drowning in seas of judgment. But there's one more kind of person that Jesus is pronouncing these woes for. You see, Jesus, his woes aren't just on the offensive. They're on the defensive. Jesus is defending the beaten up and the beaten down. Jesus is defending the folks who know that they could never be good enough 
to enter the good old boys club of judges. Jesus is weeping for Mary, who hasn't had a good night's sleep in two years, racked with guilt and shame. Jesus is standing with Lauren, who feels like God can't love her if she doubts him. Jesus is fighting for Tom, who forfeited his life for his work and who is a bottle of pills away from ending it all. And eventually, as the Gospel of Luke goes on to record, Jesus stops the conversation and he lets out a cry from the cross so loud that it echoes 2,000 years later into an old cathedral in the middle of downtown Birmingham and Jesus wails, Mercy! Mercy! Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Mercy. So I ask you, what kind of lost are you today? Is your hard and judgmental heart broken open by the hammer of the woes of Jesus right now? Mercy and mercy alone is there for you. Come behold the cross where full and final judgment goes all the way down to the depths of hell and then springs back up with a mighty, it is finished, full and final forgiveness for you. Or are you the other kind of lost? Are you so lost and so beaten up that you don't think that you can be found? Hear Jesus' word, the word of God, which says, I have come to seek and save the lost. My mercy has found you, and I will not let you go. Full and final forgiveness, love, healing, future hope, and present strength, I give them all to you. Mercy for the broken, open judges, and mercy for the broken, apart judged. Mercy for the sinners who are just now seeing it, and mercy for the sinners who feel like that's all that they've ever seen. You know, among the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's Luke's Gospel which heralds the mercy of God most explicitly. Matthew and Luke tie for the most instances of mercy, but it's only Luke that front ends the first chapter of his Gospel with five instances. Mary's song, Zechariah's song, they both foreground the mercy that God has through Christ. Maybe today, having freshly heard about the mercy of God in Christ, you can go out praising with Mary. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. I still wonder about that seventh woe that never fell. For those who remained hard-hearted and never repented, I bet it fell on them sometime later, and we just don't have it recorded here or in any of the other Gospels. But for you and for me, we actually know where the seventh woe, the final blow of judgment fell. It fell on Jesus. Because mercy triumphs 
over judgment. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.